Well, you may wonder, what is this holiday, uh, Simchat Torah, and if you count uh, all the days from the beginning of Sukkot, this is an extra day. This is an extra, extra day. And so we might wonder, what is this? If you look in your Bible in Leviticus chapter 23, when you uh, look at the uh, instruction uh, for this day, or for this time, you notice, if you look in verse 36 of Leviticus 23, For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall do no laborious work. These are the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations, and so on. So we see that there's seven days and then an eighth day. Okay? Now, uh, yesterday, Tuesday night and, and Wednesday, uh, was uh, the seventh day, which is called Hoshana Rabbah, uh, which means save us, Lord. And it comes from Psalm 118. Uh, and uh, if you're familiar with the New Covenant, you know that in the Gospel of John, in the uh, seventh chapter, uh, on the, the seventh day, it was the great day of the feast, that's when Yeshua said uh, those words that so many are familiar with. Whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. From his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That he said on Wednesday. Okay, if you ever want to know what is the date, we don't go by the, the, the date uh, uh, January to December. Those, those weren't around in those days. Okay? Uh, uh, not as the, uh, the calendar uh, as we have it today. But on the Jewish calendar, that date was Wednesday. Okay? Now, the eighth day, the extra day, it's called Shmini Atzeret, which means the eighth convocation, like the eighth holiday, basically. That uh, would have been Wednesday night and today. And today, th this day. Okay? Now, the holiday is supposed to be all over. And you know, in Israel, it is. In Israel, the holiday ends. In Israel... The eighth day covers two events. Uh, in Israel, the eighth day is this extra eighth day uh, holiday. And on top of it is Simchat Torah, uh, what we're going to celebrate tonight. But in the diaspora, outside of Israel, we always get extra days to make sure that we, that we get it right. Even if we don't hit the right day, you know, uh, we get extra days. That's why there's two days, by the way, of Rosh Hashanah, uh, so that uh, we get the right day. Uh, because in ancient times, you know, you didn't have GPS and computers and, uh, and uh, sophisticated ways of telling time, uh, you know, looking at the sun and so on and so forth. So that's why outside of Israel, traditionally, we have oftentimes two days to holidays. And that is why we have a ninth day attached to Sukkot. And it is called Simchas Torah. Simchat Torah. If you uh, grew up uh, prior to, well, let's just say, if you have grandparents uh, or parents or grandparents that precede World War II, you would have called this Simchas Torah, right? Anything after that basically is Simchat Torah. Uh, and that means the joy of the Torah. But what does it mean? What is it? What is the holiday about? 
It's not in the Bible. This is a holiday that was established by the sages of Israel when about a thousand years ago or so, they determined uh, that uh, in uh, most parts of the world, the Torah would be read in a yearly cycle. Okay, The Torah would be read in a yearly cycle. Now, in other places, mostly in the Middle East, uh, actually, there was a, uh, a little more than a, about, about a three-and-a-half-year cycle, actually, when you add it all up, going way back when you study it out. About a three-and-a-half-year cycle. Well, the yearly cycle won out as the norm, although today there's kind of a resurgence of a three-and-a-half-year cycle. But the point is, is that with the yearly uh, cycle of Torah readings, uh, which became the established way of reading the Torah. That means that no matter what Shabbat it is in the world, anywhere in the world, when you go into a synagogue anywhere in the world on, on any given Shabbat, the same passage is being chanted in the Torah all over the world. And uh, obviously, if we all start in the beginning of Genesis... That means we all end at the same time at the end of Deuteronomy, right? Devarim. And it was determined that Sukkot, the end of Sukkot, would be the beginning and the end. And that makes sense because, as we've learned about the holiday of Sukkot, that it comes at the end of the year. It is the ingathering, the year-end harvest. So it just makes sense that the beginning and the end of the yearly Torah cycle should come around the time of Sukkot. So every year, at the very end of Sukkot, we read the very end of Deuteronomy. And then we roll the Torah scrolls back, and we read the very beginning of Breshit. Breshit, the beginning of Genesis, is actually the Torah portion for this Shabbat, this coming Shabbat, so it's sort of uh, symbolically read. The, just the beginning of, of Breshit is read so that we can say that we never really come to the end of the Torah. We never come to the end. We never leave uh, the service. We never leave the synagogue saying, well, we finished. That we, we never do that. The, the very moment that we end Devarim, we roll the scrolls back, and that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, and we'll be singing, and we'll be dancing with the Torah, walking around with the Torah. It's a, a joyous, uh, a joyous time. So, so it's very interesting that, uh, in a way, what we're doing is we are participating in a very rabbinic tradition, in a tradition of the sages uh, of Israel. It's not in the, it's not in the Tanakh. It's not in the Brichat Hashah, uh, and you're not going to find this tradition among the early believers. Uh, this is a tradition that came from the sages of Israel, and we identify they are us and we are them. And so we participate. We read the Torah uh, uh, every Shabbat, and we walk around uh, with, with the Torah. We have a Torah processional every single week as we rejoice uh, in the Torah. But tonight, we uh, have a Torah processional seven times uh, 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 for Simcha's Torah, and then we invite others to come and at least hold the Torah, you know, in the, in the front here, so that we can all have that opportunity. Now, I, another very interesting uh, uh, aspect of this holiday is the scroll itself. In, in a way, we're, we're uh, celebrating the symbolism of a Torah scroll, of the, the idea of, of rolling, coming to the end of the reading, and then 
you know, very uh, physically rolling the scroll uh, uh, back and then reading it again and walking around with the Torah. Even though the name of the holiday is called the joy of the Torah, the, the meaning of the holiday goes far beyond simply saying we want to milk the marrow of the word, which we always want to do. But this holiday is really, in a way, when we say Simchat Torah, I mean, when you look at the tradition itself, in a way it's kind of like the joy of the Torah scroll. Uh, because the, the center of attention is this physical uh, two spindles with the... Uh, uh, the writing, you know, with the, the um, parchment around it with the, and what's written very physically. That's what we're, we're walking around with. And true to the nature of our people, the Torah scroll does indeed symbolize the faithfulness of God to the Jewish people. Uh, you, you know, uh, one would say that uh, you cannot have a, uh, uh, a synagogue uh, without Jewish people, but also you cannot have a synagogue without a Torah scroll, the heart and soul, so to speak, of, uh, of our identity. It's not uh, so much, you know, a chopped liver and bagels, uh, uh, no matter how good all of that may be, uh, but really the heart and soul of Jewish life is indeed uh, the, the Torah. And so when we see the Torah scroll, we, we are reminded of our heritage. We are reminded uh, of uh, God's faithfulness. We are reminded uh, of our covenantal obligations. Uh, and we are also, as a Messianic uh, community, reminded of the fact that the Messiah has indeed come and uh, he has taken the uh, Torah and placed it on our heart. That doesn't mean that the Torah scroll is of no use anymore, or it's unimportant, or passe. Doesn't mean that at all. We still uh, have the very same identity. But now that Messiah has come, the transmission of that Torah goes far beyond the words that are handwritten in the scroll. That now in Messiah, the transmission has, so to speak, jumped off of the scroll and into our heart and has become part of the very fabric uh, of our being. You know, in the uh, uh, prophet Ezekiel, in the 36th chapter, he describes the new covenant. He doesn't necessarily use the word new covenant, but he describes it. And it's very interesting. He says here, Beginning in verse uh, 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So that's very interesting here, that Ezekiel promises that the day is going to come when, he says, when you'll return to the land, and then clean water will be sprinkled upon us and make us clean. And then we'll be given a new heart, 
and God's Spirit would be put within us. Notice what it says, though. And cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So far from uh, the promise being, in that day I'll give you a new heart and put my spirit within you so you can do away with, with any kind of a Torah. Uh, rather, it's the opposite. What he says is, I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. Not legalistically keep a set of rules and regulations, but walk in my ways. As depicted in these ordinances and, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and commands. And so now that the Messiah has come, we rejoice in the Torah. We find joy in the Torah. And you know, for so many Messiah followers, that is such an, like an oxymoron. How can you have joy and Torah in the same sentence? How can that be? You know, uh, No, we have joy because now that millstone is no longer around our neck. Unfortunately, that's not what the Bible teaches. You know? Uh, that may be uh, uh, part of the way uh, many people understand the Torah, but it's quite sad because it's so different from what uh, uh, the Scriptures teach themselves. You know, all you have to do is turn to uh, virtually any verse in Psalm 119, uh, and uh, uh, we read about how blessed it is to live in the Torah. For example, in verse 2, Boy, I could have picked like over a hundred verses. But in verse 2, it says, How blessed are those who observe his testimonies and seek him with all their heart and also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. See, God has given us his Torah as a blessing to us. We should not underestimate just that little line. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, right? How happy are those? It's sort of like a beatitude from, uh, from the uh, Sermon on the Mount. It's sort of written the very same way. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies. How blessed are those who live God's way. And so when we see the Torah scroll, it's not only about, it's inclusive, but not only about our history, not only about rem reminding ourselves of, of how God has held us together with this Torah, but it also reminds us of how much God loves us because he's given us a way of life. And then in Messiah, not only has he given us a way of life, but in Messiah, he has given us the way to live this life. He's empowered us. He's energized us, so to speak, uh, by cleansing us from our sins and by giving us, indeed, uh, this way of life. And so that is why, in speaking of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, that Yeshua says there, he says, uh, do not think that I came, this is in verse 17, do not think that I came to abolish the Torah or the Nevi'im, the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the Torah, from the law, until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments, and so teaches others, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whatever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, this is very interesting. So it's quite clear and unambiguous, right? 
that uh, uh, Yeshua says he did not come to abolish the Torah, and he encourages us to know it and to live it, but he does say that our righteousness has to surpass the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, how could our righteousness surpass the scribes and the Pharisees since if anybody knew the Torah, they did. I mean, if anybody was an expert on uh, the Torah, it would be the scribes and the Pharisees. They knew it backwards, you know, forward, sideways, up, down, wherever. You know, how, how can you get more righteous than that? Well, maybe what Yeshua is unfolding for us is that it's not about a legalistic keeping of rules, but that it is indeed a way of life. A, a way of life, that it is the way of the Lord. And that living, at, when you read the Torah, the vast majority of it is about loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it is very interesting that in the Psalms, which, by the way, teach us a lot about how to live, if you turn to Psalm 15, Turn to Psalm 15 in your Bible. Now, when was the last time you heard, turn to Psalm 15? You know, on Wednesday mornings, uh, I've shared this sometimes, we have a men's Bible study here. And we've been in the Psalms from the beginning of it, like for several years. And what I love to do is pick Psalms that you usually don't read. And so one of my favorite things to do is to pick Psalms that are next to famous ones. You know, like Psalm 111, you know, Psalm 24. You know, that, that Psalm 117. It's, uh, it's great. Well, we're not going to look at one that's next to a famous one here. Well, Psalm, oh yeah, Psalm 16, very famous. Very famous, so this qualifies. So Psalm 15. Look, look what it says. There's a, there is a, a question that's asked at the beginning of it. O Lord, who may abide in thy tent? Who may dwell on thy holy hill? This is an important question. Who may dwell with God? Who may dwell in the presence of God? So now we get an answer. You would think there would be 613 verses uh, uh, here, but, but there isn't. He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. So are we to understand this as all of the commands in the Torah are, are irrelevant except for the specific ones that are here, the ones who may dwell with God uh, are people who only do exactly what these things are? May I suggest the answer is no, that these serve as an illustration of the way of life that a person lives who knows the Lord. You see, now that the Messiah has come, now the way is clear. Now our sins are forgiven. Now uh, we have been uh, reconciled to God and restored. Now we can truly experience the joy of the law as it has been written on our hearts and not simply on, stones of, uh, on, uh, on stone tablets. And so now the Torah has been transmitted to us via the Ruach HaKodesh in the Messiah. And so now we can live this abundant life in a much more robust uh, a kind of way. 
And so Simchas Torah, Simchat Torah, is certainly appropriate for us. We rejoice in the way of the Lord. But in a very Jewish way, we rejoice in the Torah, unabashedly, in Messiah Yeshua. Messiah Yeshua has opened up the door for us to enjoy His Word because in other verses it says God gave this to us for our good. Not for our difficulty, but for our good. And so may we walk in His way and may we truly experience and rejoice in Simchat Torah. And in addition to uh, uh, the joy of Torah itself, may we as we Hold the Torah as we observe the Torah. May we realize the joy of the Torah, the gift that he has given Israel, the gift that he has given the Jewish people. And may we remember that Yeshua embodies the Torah. And so that as we experience the joy of the Torah, we are experiencing the joy of Messiah Yeshua himself, who embodies the Torah, who is indeed the living Torah. And so uh, let us uh, pray and I'll ask uh, Marcy to come forward and we'll open the ark uh, and begin uh, our a joyful celebration of Simcha's Torah. Lord, thank you, God, for uh, the joy of Torah. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us a symbol of uh, our peoplehood. Uh, you indeed, Lord, have given us a symbol of the joy of Torah. You have given us a rallying point, a physical rallying point for us to remember our calling uh, as a light to the nations. Lord, we do indeed uh, pray, God, that we would recognize that as a Jew and Gentile bound together in the person of Yeshua, Lord, may we realize that you have given us a calling uh, to indeed live And Lord, may we live in your Torah, and may we rejoice in in it tonight. And we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.